Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right, friends. All right. We're back at it. Um, uh, some of my favorite things about uh, at church is watching uh, kids run around where they get sweaty because uh, they feel like this is a safe place and they can be exactly who they are. I love that. And I love hearing uh, people have conversations. Like, it's just my, my favorite. It's kind of church I've always wanted where people can be comfortable, chilled, connect, make new friends, and that's a holy thing. Now I'm going to tell you a horrible story. So uh, when I was younger, I had options to church, right? And I could go to my dad's church. We called dad's church, which was the Catholic church. <laughs> my mom's already like, uh-oh, what's he going to say? I go to dad's church, which was one hour long, um, but you knew exactly, there was stand-up, sit-down, right? You knew what was going down. You didn't understand why you had to, like, kneel. Um, but it was really boring. Or I could go to my mom's church, which I lovingly refer to as the crazy church. And you didn't know if it was going to be an hour and a half or for like two weeks, right? Because it was a Pentecostal church. So the spirit was moving, you were moving, right? Um, and I remember going uh, one Sunday, and I don't remember a lot about, uh, what, do you, what do you call it, Sunday school. I don't have a lot of memories, but imagine this. This one is vivid. And uh, I decided to go upstairs. I can still smell the building. I could see the light. I could feel the coolness of the um, concrete floor. And the Sunday school teacher says, hey, kids, uh, <laughs> um, we're going to play a game. And I'm like, oh, I like games. I love games. And the winners get a special prize. I'm like, I happen to also like winning. All right? So I'm like, I'm ready to go. And she said, we're going to play a game of who can give the most tithes and offerings. If you don't know that word, it's a very churchy word. Tithes and offerings is giving money to God, is what they would sell it as. And she goes, the teams are going to be boys versus girls, right? We give to God because God is good, uh, and we're going to have a contest. Whoever can raise the most, give, not raise, give the most money, gets to put a pie in the other team's face. And I'm like, okay, I want to win really bad, right? And I look around the room, and there's me and one other brother, right? And we're like, solidarity. And we quickly found a problem. We were both in between jobs as seven-year-olds. And we didn't have a line of credit, right? And I honestly think I went to my mom's car and probably found change, right? Because I'm like, we have to win. But I also looked around the room, and there's literally 13 to 14 uh, girls. And these young girls um, must have been organizing for months on this. They must have got a hot tip because they had paper money, all right? Paper money. And so there was no way we were going to win. And so uh, we're like, well, I guess we lost. And, and I don't know how we decided between me and Joe Bag of Donuts, but I uh, lost. And so I went up the front, and they took a little, uh, what do you call Mickey's pie with whipped cream, and then shoved it in my face. And if you put pie or cake in someone's face, the universal law, Becca, is you have to move it around like this, all right, just to get it up the nostril. And so everyone laughs, right? And I go into the bathroom to clean up, I look in the mirror, and I bawl. I start crying because I was so embarrassed. And something happened in that day. And I don't think the Sunday school teacher, like, drew it up like, hey, we're going to tell kids that they're giving to God because God is love, and then there's going to be a winner, and they get to shove a pie, and then they're going to, like, deeply impact Chris's theology on money and God for the rest of his life. I don't think she drew it up like that, right? But it did. 
right? Because something inside me at that moment, I didn't, I couldn't, I mean, I probably could because I was brilliant at seven years old, but like now, um, something inside of me formed saying, I'm never going to lose, right? I'm going to win. I'm going to win with God because winners are above the losers and losers get hurt. Losers get shamed. Losers, and, and so I'm going to do what I can to, like, give as, mo- as much as I can to God in my money, my time, my love, my devotion. But it was out of this, not, not, out, not only out of beauty, because I love God, but it was also by, um, I'm, it hurts to lose, right? So there you go. That's the, whole, that's the story. And this is, a, this is a way that many people imagine God to be when it, when it comes to money, all right? Imagine, like, God really needs your money. Right? And the more you give to God, the more you get of God. And this is, we probably wouldn't say, a lot of people wouldn't say that probably out loud, but it's a dominant way of people thinking about God and money. That God needs your money, and the more you give, the better you are. Like there's winners, right? And then there's everyone else. And money is not something we love talking about, right? Like it's not, maybe, maybe you do with your friends. You get together, hey, let's talk about how much debt we have. That sounds awesome, all right? Um, and when we live in a capitalistic society, right, we have this, the, this uh, unintended consequence of how much money I make equals how much uh, I, I'm worth and my value, right? And we don't like talking about money. Um, oh, here's a funny story. I wasn't planning on telling this, um, uh, which is always a great decision by me. Uh, when we bought our house in Esco, we had a housewarming party. And my son, then, that had been seven years ago, so he was 11, he hops up on the table, and everyone's in, I don't know if you guys remember, winters are there, and Cole goes, can you guys believe my parents bought this house for $210,000, right? And at the time, I was so embarrassed, right? So embarrassed. Now I tell everyone, I'm like, you see, we got steel in the house, but I, I was so embarrassed, and I got Cole off the table. I'm like, Cole, we don't do it. He's like, but am I lying? I'm like, no. He goes, so why can't we talk about it? I'm like, we just don't do it, right? Because it's embarrassing, right? Somehow if people knew how much I made or you made, we make a value judgment. We might think we're better than the other person or they're better than us. And so we, we try, and I can prove to you how we do this as Midwesterners, right? Let's say um, you're wearing this beautiful jacket and someone comes up to you and says, oh, that jacket, it's so great. And you can never say, thank you. Wow, that was really kind. You can never say that. You have to say what? Oh, I was at my grandma's back 40, and there was an old toilet in the back of the woods, and I lifted it up, and there was all these rats, and I got them out of there, and I picked up, and there was this black piece of material I threw in the wash, and out oh, came this beautiful jacket, right? You, 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 you have to tell people, like, I didn't pay full price, Right? And why do we do that? How you save money or you got it on sale or you use a coupon? Because you're trying to, like, um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, you're trying to show this value of, like, I didn't pay full price, right? Because I don't want to tell you, oh, I could afford blah, 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 because there's still some shame tied to it. And we, we normalize that. Now, if talking about money is awkward, right? Tie in eternal damnation <laughs> in money. Tie in eternal salvation. Tie in, like, uh, getting the best of God and your money. And uh, people are very, very, um, what's the right word? Suspicious when it comes to churches, when it comes to nonprofits and money, right? It's, it's something that comes up, especially for people who aren't in the rhythm of church. And if you didn't grow up in a community where um, giving on a regular basis was um, celebrated, right? 
And when people hear tithe, that's a tenth of the income. They're like, I'm supposed to give a tenth of what, right, to the church? And so they're suspicious. Why? Let me in a little secret. I happen to be a professional in the church world, right? And I'm on team church. Um, It's because we've not done a really bang-up job of earning people's trust with money, right? Now, I'd say neighborhood. I, I feel like our board and our accountant and our system, our checks and balances are very, very good, but I'm saying in general, right, um, that you should be suspicious. And here's a couple of, I mean, I wrote down like 10 examples of just like how uh, churches have misused money. Uh, number one, there is uh, on Instagram, anyone on Insta? Anyone? Just you? All right. Uh, a great, a great pl- um, person to follow. I think it's up there. Oh, yeah. Um, is um, uh, Preachers and Sneakers, right? At Preachers Sneakers. And they um, go to, they follow mega churches and their pastors and the people on staff, and they take pictures of their shoes, and they look how much it's worth, and they just tell the truth. And can you imagine this? Those pastors don't like that account, right? Because they don't want people to know the church paid for $10,000 Air Jordans, right? There's other churches that have um, uh, expense accounts, thousands of dollars for anyone who's on stage um, to, for wardrobe, because you've got to look fly to serve the Lord, right? There is... Um, I mean, there's many denominations that spent billions of dollars cover, uh, to pay off um, people who have been sexually assaulted, right? That's people's money that they're told they're giving to God that has to go back to cover up for those pastors who sexually assaulted kids, right? That's how God is using that money. Um, I uh, once worked for a church and now former pastors, um, the, our book, their bookkeeper um, had an ethical dilemma and walked in an office, and I happened to be there, and, uh, and they said, I feel like I have an ethical responsibility to um, check in and why you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on um, these bar tabs and these huge elaborate meals. Um, I just, you're saying this is God's money, and God needs your money, and you're using it for you, and not even the people in the church, uh, but it was other leaders from in the denomination, right? And let's just say that conversation didn't go so good, right? And that person ended up uh, quitting, essentially, right? Because someone challenged, this is unethical of how you're spending that money. And I was in that meeting, because I got asked to sit in on it, and I'm like, we did what? <laughs> I, had, I had no idea, right? So there's, there's example after example after example of how people are like, we're giving to God, and the church says, Okay, remember we've been talking about um, to use when you hear a value or a statement or a policy and ask the question, who benefits the most by believing that or by saying that, right? So if you said, give to God, right, from a pastor, who benefits the most? Not God, <laughs> right? The church does, right? right? So when we have this idea that money and attached to how we give, right, is going to give me access either to greater to God or greater to the staff or greater to this church can lead to some very, very toxic um, ideas of who God is and even what the church is. And where did we get this, right? So here's the origin story. We get the idea of the Hebrew people um, were enslaved for generations and generations, and they come out, and um, God, through Moses, uh, brings this this uh, incredible way of helping people to relearn what it means to be human, 
right? I love talking about this. Like, if you were in a toxic relationship and you finally broke out of it, you have to, like, reorientate yourself of your value and your worth and what's normal and what's healthy because maybe your partner uh, disrupted all that. And so you need concrete ways to move forward. Like, oh, I am supposed to shower, you know, once a week. Oh, I'm supposed to eat healthy food. Oh, I'm supposed to sleep, right? This is the book of Leviticus, right? If you ever read Leviticus, it is full of, like, Hair, fat, smoke, and blood, all right? And it's true. It's super weird. But it's beautiful because it's giving step-by-step instructions of how to work out uh, a business deal that went bad. Step-by-step of how you can find um, uh, forgiveness between you and the earth and you and the divine. I love it. But it's really, really archaic. And in this ancient time, they believed if we, if we give to God, then God will give back to us. And the Hebrew people were not the only tribe. This is a common way of thinking about God, where you would want to give to the rain god or give to the sun god because you wanted a good harvest. Uh, and so you'd have to give up something. And at this time, the tithe was your first fruits, like the first of your olive tree, the first of your grain. Um, and even extended to, of, uh, if you wanted to win the battle, there are stories in the Old Testament of people, of kings, um, sacrificing their oldest kid so that they can win the war. Why? Because that's what gods do. You give a lot, God gives a lot, right? And so um, if we take that ancient truth from the ancient people, here's the problem. And we bring it over here into like current time and we just drop it. This can be a problem, right? For example, uh, I think we have it up here. There's a verse in Malachi and uh, I, I really do, I love this verse. And I've read this verse on stage um, at one point in my life, and um, I find a lot of meaning into it. But I'm going to show you. Uh, Kira, can you throw that verse up there? Um, I'm going to show you uh, how it can be, um, it can contribute to that, maybe that toxic way of thinking about God. And it says, uh, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be, there will not be room enough to store it. It's beautiful. What they're saying is, if you give the tenth, you give your tithe of your, of your harvest, of your grain, then like God is going to throw open the floodgates, right, and fill you with what? grain, <laughs> right? God's going to provide. And that's like the big picture here is we have a good God who wants to bless us. But when you take that and you drop it into modern time, and instead of our olive trees, instead of our cattle, instead of our flowers, right? Instead of our grain, you tie it to money, then what we're saying is if you give to God, right, then God is going to bless you. What automatically assumes then if you don't give to God, right? If you don't give to God, if you don't give a tenth, the, the, the amount of conversations I've had with people, honestly, not as much at neighborhood, right? But when, uh, when we were more evangelical, or when we were evangelical, um, and when I worked at different denominations, it would come up all the time. People would be like, I can't afford, I can't afford to give 10%. And they felt a lot, a lot of shame. Why? Because if you interpret this as God needs your money, the more you give, and there's salvation, or you're getting the best of God, you're going to carry that guilt with you. And that, was, that still is a real thing. How, how could we reimagine what generosity looks like, right? Instead of it being this, this stringent thing, how, how could it be better? Oh, story time. forgot, all right? Um, when I was 16, yes, when I was 16, um, 
I had a job. I had a job. It was a big deal, all right? And I, and I had a friend in our youth group named Steve, and he was three years older than me, and he was kind of like a mentor to me. And he really, like, he helped me a lot. But Steve was into um, the prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, right? And this would take that, that verse, right, and say, um, if you have a big need, then you need to give even more. The bigger the ask, the bigger you have to give. And so if I give, I want to see my uh, kid get healed from a broken arm, oh, I better be giving more. And if I give more, then God will bless me and my kids. Yes, Becca, it's a real thing. She's looking at this look like, what? Who would fall for that? Millions of people, Becca. <laughs> um, and so Steve came up to me and goes, hey, Chris, you got a job. Um, are you tithing? And I did what any teenager would do. I lied right to his face, right? <laughs> the way God intended. So of course, Steve, I'm tithing. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I am not tithing, right? If I had paper money, you know, I'd throw a buck in here, a buck in there. Or if I had change, even better, I'd throw it in the offering plate and like put it in hard so people knew, like, wow, Chris is putting gold bricks in there. So um, uh, why am I telling this? Oh, so, um, and he said, Chris, if you don't tithe, God is going to get his money one way or the other. So you give it up or God takes it. I'm like, okay, Steve, we're happy for you. Week later, I get a, my, my first and only mother speeding ticket. And um, I'm like, how am I going to afford this? And I told Steve, I'm like, man, this sucks. And he goes, Chris, I told you, God is going to get their money one way or the other. And I'm like, and I believed it. So take seven-year-old Chris crying in the bathroom with pie in my face, right? I, I don't want to ever lose. And now added, like, it like fused together inside of me of I have to give or I'm out. And from there on out, and probably till about six, seven years ago, if we had a problem, like there was one morning or one night we came home and um, the transmission locked up on us, right? And I went to the dark space. I'm like going through my head. I'm like, did we tithe? Did it carry the one? The decimal point goes over here. Like I, I, I was serious. I felt frantic. I felt fear because clearly God is punishing me because I'm not giving enough money. We were part of a giving campaign at... Um, at the former church. And it was actually, it was really, really, there were some really beautiful things that came out of that. People coming together with a common vision and willing to be generous. But I still viewed, if I don't give X amount, then I'm going to lose. And uh, we met as a staff, and we were supposed to, um, what do you call it, declare how much you're going to give. And what they told us was, we have to set the pace for the whole entire church. We have to, like, we have to show the church of what it looks like to sacrificially give. Because if we don't, then who else will? Well, the problem was, Nikki and I made $35,000 together, all right? I imagine there was a couple more people in our church that maybe made a little bit more than us, but we were supposed to set the pace. And so Nikki and I um, decided that we are going to uh, double tithe, 10% to the church and another 10% to the building campaign. And it felt great for like three months before we could not financially afford it. <laughs> and I remember we like had to reduce our payment, and I felt so much shame as a pastor. Because what they told me was, we have to set the pace. We're carrying the load. And now I'm like, I failed the church, and I failed God, and now what bad things are going to happen to me? It was my first thought. But I, I, it wasn't like, like we could keep doing it. Can you see how this can like lead? And this is why there's so many people that are suspicious. So back to it. All right, Chris, are we never supposed to give money to the church? No. Here's all right. Here's how we can. Some people are like, this is the best sermon of all time. I just saved some money. <laughs> right? How can we think about it? Right? So in generosity. In the New Testament, they, they, the way they talk about um, 
uh, about giving, right, is very different. In no way for anyone here who is like a, a biblical scholar, I'm not implying there wasn't like a, a tax code or a temple code uh, where they didn't have to abide by those tenths or those percentages. What I'm saying, the story that, uh, the Christ narrative and the story that Paul tells is a bigger story. So those things can be true, but what they put an emphasis on is being generous, right? And generosity is not putting an extra zero on the check. Generosity is a value that's to be embodied, right? So, um, Jesus. Uh, maybe you heard of him, right? Big deal. Um, how, who bankrolled Jesus' ministry? And you might think, well, Jesus could, like, shoot bread out of his hands, water into wine. He can walk on water. So doesn't pay, like, a boat fee, right? So, like, Jesus, we don't always associate how did Jesus' ministry stay afloat, right? Because they still had to pay taxes. They still had to get food, all that thing. Um, does anyone know? Hmm? The women. That's right. The women's bankrolled Jesus' ministry. And one in particular, that make one, uh, one mention of it, I think it's in Luke. Um, it is the wife or the partner of the, the, the person who oversaw all of King Herod's, King Herod? Yeah, I think King Herod's um, finances, right? And all his wealth. So King Herod's money is going to the ministry of Jesus, which disrupted this whole thing with King Herod. Like, I got Jesus killed right? And I love that. Why? Because when you see something that is transformative, when you see something that's inspiring, when you see love, when you see heaven, you can't help but give. And these women saw whatever Jesus was doing and saw the influence and impact and the liberation that could come from it. And so what could they do? They could give money. And that's what love does, right? You give of yourself, of your time, of your energy, and your money. Because I always said, like, like, God doesn't need your money because she's doing just fine, right? I, I love saying that, right? Because if you can, give, how do we give to God, right? Well, here's the bad part. God's email's not up to date, so you can't really, she can't really get a bank account, right? Her Venmo's not working so well. Uh, but um, we do. You have a bank account. I imagine you have a bank account, right? And so what we can do is when we give is we get to co-create with God. When we see something where there's an opportunity, when we are aware of the needs that are happening uh, in our neighborhoods, uh, in the systems we find ourselves, well, then we say, oh, generosity says, oh, I can give to that, right? And I love that. I have a, I have a friend who writes postcards uh, in political, um, what's it right there? What do we call those? Um, elections, right? And she writes because she um, believes in, it, in the work that, that they're doing, that candidate, um, and gives to it because that's what love does. Like in Ohio, I think it's coming up this November, uh, on the ballot is access for women's health care, right? So they're making, taking a vote that women have the freedom to make a choice on their own bodies, right? So I imagine that person has done that kind of work before. Um, and if that person's listening, keep doing it. It's a sacred thing, right? So th- there's so many different ways of how we can give, of how we can be generous. So Two things with this that I encourage you to do. First is, where do you find inspiration? Where do you find belonging? What, what, what is a place or a person or an organization that makes your heart go pitter-pat, pitter-pat? Right? Do you, have, do you have any of those? Places where you feel like you can just be yourself? For me, uh, I have, it is so, not, I don't know why it's funny to me, but um, there's a place uh, in West Duluth um, called the Boreal House. And I really, really love that place. 
more than just because of what they produce is really, really good. I've made friends there. I, I feel accepted. I feel like I could be honest. I feel deep sense of belonging. And so I, when I get the opportunity to tip, right, I like tipping more because I believe in what this place is doing, right? So where do you feel a sense of belonging? And then number two, who else could benefit from that organization, that policy, or that space? And most of us, I'd say a majority of people, we only go to the first question, what benefits me? And that's important, right? You're worth it. But when you also take a step back and you can widen it and say, well, who else could benefit from this space? If we give, if we organize, if we can um, fundraise, who else could benefit from that organization? And I can tell you, one practical example is that you're sitting in chairs that were paid for and people gave money to so that strangers could be sitting in them. A group of, John, 15 to 20 people of Westminster Presbyterian, roughly, right? Um, they came to the point of where they're like, the church that's been around for generations and generations um, is going to come to a close. And I can tell you, um, and I never told this to you, John, the hardest thing, I've been in church for a long time, the hardest thing to kill is a church, right? Because it, there's so much belonging and, um, and time and energy put into that, those people and specifically that building that most people, when churches are going down, they go down to the last ship, right? And these group of people decided in their grief, because there's a lot of grief, right? They said, well, we have generations of work, of doing the sacred work. Who could carry on the torch? Who could be like-minded people like Westminster Presbyterian? And so they called up a stranger, me. And Carolyn said, hey, do you want a church? <laughs> I'm like, hi, I'm Chris, right? And they gave of it because, not just because they believed in you, right? You were just strangers. You are nameless, faceless people. They believed in us and the values and the work that we've done for the last, at that time, seven years, and also who could benefit from having a space like neighborhood. I love that. That's what love does. Now generosity isn't like, well, I have to just give more. It's when do I have the opportunity to give? And there's going to be times where generosity and giving is going to cost us a little bit, right? And, like, for me, it's like, hey, can we go up uh, and go bring this person home? I'm like, oh, I have to drive an extra 30 seconds, right, before I'm like, oh, I guess I can do that, right? Because if you don't know me, where I often start with, I often start like this, right, like a scarcity mindset, especially when it comes to money, right? My money and my time. It's, it's like, no, I only have so much, and I don't want to live that way. Like, a good and beautiful life, I've realized, doesn't come when I'm doing this, but when I can take a posture of generosity, when I can mimic the character of God, then all, and I can do this, funny how it feels a little bit better of when I can be generous. So think of what inspires you and how people can benefit. And you're never going to hear me say, and you guys have heard me, for those who've been here for a while, uh, when I do the giving announcement, I don't say tithes, I don't say offerings, uh, because it's a mostly loaded word for people who have gone through some church trauma, Right? And, but I will, I'm never going to shame you into doing it, but I, I, unap I tell people I unapologetically invite people to give because I believe in this space, right? I believe in the sacred work of neighborhood that we are collectively doing. Um, here's why. Uh, we are reactivating our youth group that we call um, the block party, right? And the winters led it for the last two years, um, and we took a break over the summer, and we're reactivating it. But my daughter, um, who's 12, 
she kept asking Nikki and I, because we said, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to reactivate it. And for several weeks, she's like, hey, Dad, did you, like, schedule the block party? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, honey. I'm on it. And back in my head, I'm like, I totally forgot to do that, right? Like, three or four times um, before I finally did it. And then uh, my partner, Nikki, asked Kira, um, and Kira gave me permission to share this story, just so you guys know. She's, like, up there sweating. Um, Nikki asked Kira, like, hey, Kira, why is this so important to you, right? You've asked for it several times, and in my own words, I'm going to use Chris' words that Kira used, is she said, I know when we show up, we are all collectively going to be working on being anti-racists. I know that we're going to have a place where everyone's included exactly who they are. I know that we're going to have fun and we're going to laugh, we're also going to be doing justice work. Because when I go to school, I don't always have that. When I go to this club, not everyone is, is like that. The block is a place where we can be that. And I'm like, you're a prophet. <laughs> you're a comedian or a prophet, right? Because that's, that's speaking what's, what is absolutely true, what's in the air. And she put a name to it. And it's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can, right, to, to make these kind of things happen. Because that's what, that's what kids need. I believe in the work that uh, Re- Rebecca Rick who I affectionately call Rick, right, um, and, and her team are doing downstairs. They are telling better stories of the story that was told to me when I was a kid. And they're not just trying to help them tell better stories, they're helping live better stories. And I, I love that. And going to, if you never had a chance to, like, um, well, I shouldn't say that. You, yeah, don't go downstairs if you don't have a ticket. To, I was like, let's all go downstairs. But no, you can't do that. That would break our, our policy. But downstairs, those kids... It's not like Sunday school, like I had to sit down and you had to listen. They're, they're running everywhere, and Rebecca and her team are using creative ways of inspiring kids to remind them that they've always been good, right? I love that. I, maybe you're here or you're watching or listening online um, because the, the, the beautiful music that Nikki plays. Uh, maybe everyone's here because of the announcements I give. Everyone loves announcements. Or maybe you're here because you just need a place to relax, to vibe, cup of coffee, and just be reminded of the sacred work that you're doing. But I can tell you, um, I am a, I'm a professional Uber driver, right? I do on the side, a side hustle. Um, and I love it because I get to have um, hundreds of conversations because the question I always get is like, is this your full-time job? I'm like, no. Is you riding in my car your full-time job? Right? I was and I get to tell people, I say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a wildly progressive church. And I always use that word intentionally. And they, they, they're like, well, what, what does that mean? I get to talk about how we're open to new expressions of who God is. And we're an inclusive community. And the work that we do on whiteness and patriarchy. And, um, and I tell them, because I'm a pluralist, meaning that I believe there's infinite ways of divine love. And usually come, they're like, wait, 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 are you like a real pastor? Pastors can't swear. I heard you swear. <laughs> and pastors don't believe that. I'm, I'm like, well, this one does. And in fact, there's a lot of us around. And there's one gentleman. We were talking about how I don't believe in like the literal six-day creation. And we were talking about how the Bible can tell a story and those stories can motivate us. And he was in his 60s. And he used to be a missionary, and he's like, there's people that gather and, like, talk about this stuff? I'm like, yeah, there's, there's lots of us, my man. He goes, I never thought there'd be people like me who could go to a church like that. 
I love it. And that guy still has not walked in the doors. But here's what I'm getting at is there's a lot of people like that guy who's looking for a third space, home being one space, work being a second, a third space where you can show up and you are welcomed. You show up and you're included. You show up and you're believed. This is what neighborhood is. I love this community. And so I unapologetically invite people to give. And here's why. We are in the process of coming up with our budget, right? Everyone loves that word, budget, right? Every year around the fall, uh, our board, uh, which is Jeremy Weaver, Becca Krause, Dietrich Winter, and myself, um, uh, work with our accountant, our bookkeeper, needed to come up with a budget. In the last, since COVID, I don't know how long that's been, right? The last 30 years since COVID, um, we've been operating out of a deficit. We've been in the red in our budget. Um, And that's like every other church I know has been doing the same. And we've cut everything that we can uh, cut responsibly because that's what wisdom does. Um, And we are working on building our budget for next year. And the way we build our budget is based on how much we spend, right? But also how much people give. And and so if you've ever thought about giving, if you're listening online, you've ever considered um, becoming a sustaining member, um, we'd invite you to do that. If you believe in the sacred work that we do, you find some inspiration belonging, I'd strongly encourage you to consider uh, becoming one so that we can build a responsible budget for next year to continue doing the sacred work of everything I talked about. So to wrap up, two things. I'll just repeat them. Where do you find belonging and inspiration? And give yourself to it. Your time, your energy, and money. Oh, I should say this. In no way am I implying only give the neighborhood and no one else, right? I'm not saying that. Uh, you sh- we should be giving our time, energy, money to multiple, multiple spaces, right? But be aware of where you find that belonging and that grounding and give to it. And secondly, by giving to that, who else can benefit from it? So I'm going to pray before I pray. If you'd like to talk about uh, what the message on giving or you have questions about where our money goes to, uh, we are wide open, right? Wildly open to talk about how our money is being spent. So if you'd, or you'd like to pray, um, I'll be up here for the rest of time. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for the generosity um, that is you. What love does, and God is love, is love shows up. And love always, always gives. So I pray that you'd help, help us continue to mimic the nature of Christ, to move in the way of Christ. And that we can show up and that we can give. And I ask that you'd even highlight and show us where are those places that we find that belonging. Maybe it's that friend, maybe it's that activity, maybe it's the club, maybe it's that space. But when we walk in, we feel like we can just be ourselves. And I'm so thankful that we have a, a collective, collective ways of experiencing that. And secondly, specifically for Neighborhood Church, God, I pray that you continue to use us, this building, our resources, and most importantly, the people, so that more people can come and experience this good and beautiful God. So we love you. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, friends. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.